0: Book of Philippians, I will be reading and we will be worshiping over Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. Philippians 3, 20 to 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, true infallible, inerrant word. Holy Father, let us adore. Let us be wowed by your Son together as a body this morning. Lift him up. Amen. So that's my goal this morning is simply this, that we would see and we would marvel at what's in these verses because it is God's goal that we marvel at the one who is spoken of here. This is how Paul said it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. When Jesus comes on that day in order to be glorified in His saints and in order to be marveled at among all, Who have believed. The goal of all that is created is so that God's people will be marveling at Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. Now, as we go to our passage here, what is already assumed is that Jesus has suffered and died and been raised and ascended to heaven. And the reason we can assume that now in this text is because Paul, a few paragraphs earlier, made that crystal clear. So let's go look at it first. Chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. In this passage, Paul describes... Jesus' eternal deity. His incarnation. He describes the obedience of Christ in His death. He describes His resurrection. He describes His ongoing rule and reign over all the universe right now. This is an amazing passage. You'll never read anywhere in all the books written in the world anything that is as far-reaching and sweeping and important and true as Philippians 2, verses 6 to 11. Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And therefore, as a result of that, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh to the glory of God the Father. And so Christ... He he was and is equal with God. He is God. He became a human being. He obediently suffered and died on a cross, which means the Father told Him to do that. And that means it was a planned death. And the point of the plan was that my eternal Son become one of them And suffer as a substitute for them on behalf of their guilt and their sins and the punishment that is holy and just. Stand in the gap and allow me to do justice against them on you. That's what Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 means. When Paul writes Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He bore the penalty as a substitute. And that's why it says in verse 8 of chapter 2, he was obedient to the Father. He was obedient to the point of death. He wasn't just dying. He was obeying. God had a plan and gave him A command. And the son. Fulfilled that command. Willingly. And obediently. The plan was. Be a substitute. So that. My wrath. The curse of the law. That I promised. I'll pour out on you. But it's their desert that you will bear. And I'll do that in order to make them my children. And I will make every one of them a joint heir with you, my son. That's what he says up to verse 8. And then, in verse 9, we see the greatest inference ever. The greatest, therefore, ever. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. In other words, because of his obedient life and death, God raised him from the dead and gave him great glory as a human being. As Lord, and ruler of the universe. All right. That's the point behind our passage, Philippians 3, 20 to 21. So let's go there again. Verse 20, but our citizenship as believers in Jesus, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, now we know how he got there. (laughs) He's a human being who was raised from the dead. Verse 21, who, that is this Jesus, will transform our lowly body to be like his, his glorious body. Now we know how he has a body right now ascended in heaven in some spiritual realm because he was raised bodily from the dead. And he'll do this by the power that enables him, Jesus, even to subject all things to himself. And so Paul says, There are three things here that we should be captivated by. That we should fall down and marvel at. Not waiting, as we read in Thessalonians, on that day when He returns. Oh, we will do that then. The start of that happens at new birth to marvel at three things and those three things are first marvel at his power and his authority marvel at the power that the risen Jesus has right at this very moment in order to subject everything to himself secondly marvel That one day, at his second coming, he will use that power in order to transform your mortal, lowly body in the resurrection. And thirdly, marvel that right now, as a believer in Jesus... You are a citizen of heaven where Christ rules this moment. That's the sermon. Let's go through those three. First marvel, it is power. Verse 21, the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, in one sense, the Lord, the Lord Jesus has the right to, to rule the universe because He is God. In the beginning, it was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh. But in another sense, God the Father decreed that it would be Most beautiful, most fitting that the one who would rule all creation is king. And all of those people being saved through mercy and all of those sinners not being saved in judgment. That it would be wonderful if he would be one who became one of them. And bore their likeness. And experienced their temptations and suffering and pain. And then died their death. God decreed that the one who would rule in all power and authority. Would not just be God the Son. But would be God, become man, a redeemer. A redeemer who suffered. For the sins of all whom he is saving. Marvel at the way the Hebrew writer puts it. In Hebrews 2.10. For it was fitting. It's an understatement. It was fitting that he. For whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. The Lord Jesus, who's the judge of the universe and the ruler over everything, He was tested and found perfect through suffering. And now he is doubly suited for his role as Lord of the universe. He is God with his natural rights to rule. And he's a redeemer with purchased rights to rule savingly over a kingdom. He can put his foot on Satan's neck, not just because of his raw power and authority of his divine nature, but also because he exposed himself to Satan and his temptations, and the great weapon of the devil, death. And he smashed And defeated it by being raised from the dead. He has creator rights to rule and he has redeemer rights to rule. As Paul says in Philippians 3.21, he has the power that enables him even to subjugate, all things to himself. Marvel at that powerful reality. Remember right before he ascended into heaven at the end of Matthew he said to the apostles and disciples all authority in heaven and on Earth has been given to me. There is no place, there is no sphere of reality anywhere in existence that is not under the absolute authority of Jesus from Nazareth. When the world that we look at and governments and politics and evil-doing and death and disease and when the world does not look like it is at all under Jesus' authority, it is much better to be awed by the mystery of that than to deny the scope of his power right at this moment. That's how Paul ends Romans 11. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who's become His counselor to say you should do it this way? No one. Oh, His ways, he says, are inscrutable. Inscrutable. We should marvel that while Christ, right this moment, has absolute authority, And power over all things. We should marvel that he does not yet use that power completely to subdue his enemies. Not yet. His kingdom for the last 2,000 years and for the next 10,000 years or however long this will go until he returns his kingdom advances through the preaching of the gospel and through the life of his people the church the body in their love for one another clandestinely but really and powerfully during this present Painful, evil age. And that is the way in the midst of it, and it's happened to you if you're a believer, where spiritual darkness and demonic philosophies and deceptions are defeated now, presently, in people's lives. And this is the process that has gone on and will go on As far as our Lord Jesus wills it. There will come a time. Where the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Will say enough. And Christ will step in. And he'll finish the victory. That's how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 24 to 27. And then, then the end comes when He delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For Jesus must reign until... He has put all His enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under Christ's feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that He, God the Father, is accepted who put all things in subjection under Him. So Paul writes... Jesus, like at this very moment, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So his power, his authority are complete, but the process of subjugation goes on at the pace he chooses. We should marvel. That God knows exactly what He's doing. Even as always, the world goes haywire. We should marvel at the pervasiveness of Christ's power this very moment. It pervades the universe from the largest things... To the tiniest. Colossians 1.17 says, Jesus is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. And Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus upholds all things by the word of His power. There is no galaxy in existence. There's, there's no atomic particle that exists. There is, in a non-physical world, the spiritual world, no demonic presence that exists that would stay in existence without the will and the authority of Jesus Christ. So we should marvel at His triumph as we sung this morning through the cross. We should marvel his power as our resurrected brother and Savior. Peter marveled. He said it this way in 1 Peter 3, 22. This guy ate with him, walked with him, knew him, denied him, was forgiven by him. Years later, he says, Jesus has gone into heaven and is At the right hand of God, seat of all authority. He is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him. When Christ died and rose again, He was triumphant over all the powers of the enemy. and Death. And he knew that, right? That's what he said to Peter. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. The only way you knew that because my Father revealed that to you. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church in the gates of death. Or Hades, hell will not prevail against it. Oh, we should marvel that he's on the throne. In the midst of whatever suffering and pain lay ahead of any of us. We should marvel that He's the judge of the universe. Remember how the Apostle Paul closed that sermon in Athens. Saying, and God will judge the world through a man. Whom He has appointed and confirmed to us by raising Him from the dead. A few years earlier in His mortal life, Jesus said it this way in John 5, 27. God has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. And there is no higher court. It is the supreme court of the universe. Nowhere else to appeal. And in his high priestly prayer the night before his death, John 17, 2 shows how that massive authority is full of hope for those who belong to Jesus he prayed this way and you father have given him referring to himself you have given him authority over all flesh in order to give eternal life to all whom you have given to him. Both judgment in condemnation and eternal life are in Jesus' hand. Every human being, Revelation eleven thirteen. It screams to us. Marvel! It's such a judge. Then the seventh angel blew the trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, "The kingdom of the world has become." the kingdom of our lord and of his christ and he shall reign for ever and ever his power his authority last forever therefore don't be found to be his enemy Don't be an enemy of that power and that authority. But instead, worship, (laughs) marvel with joy at such mercy and grace that he purchased on the cross. And also marvel that the Lord Jesus' base of rule and reign in the future forever will be the universe, a created order, the earth. It will be renewed. All sickness and all satanic power will be removed. It'll be a new heavens and a new earth, as Revelation 21:1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. It's coming. And Jesus declared in Matthew 24:30: Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see. The Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And so, that's the first big point. It's the longest one. We should marvel. We should be wowed at His power. As Paul says in our text, His power to subjugate, to subject all things to Himself. And secondly, we should marvel that one day when He returns in His glorified, resurrected body, Jesus will use that authority and that power to transform your lowly, dead body. To be Just like His. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. by By the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. All that power that we've just seen. Paul says Jesus would use that power, take that power in order to take our decomposed physical bodies and raise them from the dead. No longer to be sick and disabled and frail and mentally ill and challenged and addicted and tempted. But rather it will be like His present Glorified body with which he ascended to the Father. Now we should never over spiritualize what that means. And we should not under spiritualize what that means. See we would under spiritualize the resurrection of the body. If we thought of it only in terms of what we know in physics today. Today of the physical material of the universe and how things operate. It's not identical to what we have now. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. It, this, dies and it's sown into the ground, a natural body It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is a spiritual body. Which means, somehow, that resurrection body, just like we see the accounts, historical accounts of encounters with the resurrected Jesus, that body will be perfectly suited to bear the weight of the unimaginable perfect Sinless now, not in us, human souls. But on the other hand, we would over spiritualize it if we thought, therefore, well, I guess that body, there's no way it can sit there and eat fish. No, it can eat fish, and it will be recognized by its friends. Jesus was recognized. Luke 24, and their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And also, he vanished from their sight. Or later that evening in a room with a bunch of men and women. See my hands and my feet. That it is I myself. Touch me. And see. See. You, your mortal body, touch this non-mortal body and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved because of joy and, and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in front of them. And that's what we'll do. If we belong to Christ by trusting in Him, He will give us a new resurrected physical slash spiritual and will be recognized in glory by loved ones and friends. And so the question is, is that the heart of your life? Is that promise? the driving mechanism of your soul. Paul says, we Christians wait. We wait for a Savior who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. Oh, we should worship and marvel that Christ, He will use all of His authority in heaven and in earth and omnipotence and power to raise you from the dead one day. And then finally, We should be blown away that right now your citizenship is in heaven where Christ rules from and reigns. But our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, then you do not have to wait for the second coming to know where your eternal home is and what kind of an existence that will be. You don't need to wait to know that you are utterly forgiven and there will not be a banishment For you, outside of the holy, merciful, good presence of God the Creator. But it will be in the presence of His mercy with your King Jesus reigning forever. In order to delight you with His glory. Which will have no end. Which will have no end of our expansion of that glory as finite beings viewing and experiencing the infinite one. You do not have to wait. When a person sees the gospel of Christ and sees therefore Christ as their treasure in the field. His or her name is written. And they see it now. It was written from the foundation of the world. They see what mercy that brought me. To taste and see. And they realize. In a deep way I'm not of this earth. My citizenship is in heaven. And the main point is not some place. It's some person. Your king is there. He will come back. And when he comes, he brings your citizenship with him. And thus we will be with him forever. And our marveling will never ever cease. And it will never ever have one iota of boredom with it. It only increase forever. And so in the larger portion where 20 and 21 are ending it. Remember now, Paul's point is that there are two paths. Setting your heart and your affections and your desires and your passions on earthly things, on the flesh, which leads to eternal destruction. And the other path Is Christianity. But our God, (laughs) excuse me, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we. How do you exist, Christian? If it doesn't include this, something's wrong. We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We, at the core of being a Christian, is to be called to marvel at the King in all his beauty. Oh, lift your eyes to heaven, see the Holy One eternal. Behold the Lord of majesty, exalted in His temple. As symphonies of angels praise, now strain to sound His glory. Come, worship, fall before His grace, the King in all His beauty. Now see the king who wears a crown, one made of shame and splinters. The sacrifice for ruined man, the substitute for sinners. As earth is stained with royal blood and quakes with love and fury, he breathes his last and bows his head, the king. In all his beauty. Now see the Savior lifted up. The Lamb who reigns in splendor. The hope of every tribe and tongue. His kingdom is forever. Bring praise and honor to his courts. Bring wisdom, power, blessing. For endless ages will adore the King. Sing those words. Holy Father, thank you for the gift of your eternal Son. You did not spare, but you gave him and you delivered him up to wrath on behalf of all of us who believe. And therefore, come hell or high water and cancer and pain and relationship and politics going awry and governments. Oh, nothing shall separate us from your love for us and your keeping of us in your Son, Christ Jesus. Oh, we thank you and love him so. Amen. Let us stand and sing.